0: Last night, like something out of a movie video emerged of people frantically burning something in the courtyard of a building. As it turns out, this was the Chinese consulate in Houston frantically burning documents. People noticed the smoke called the fire department who came in. And as it turns out, the United States has ordered the closure of the Chinese consulate amid an ongoing spying scandal where hackers have been accused of stealing COVID vaccine research at the behest of China. So apparently, after they got word they had to shut down the consulate, they, ran, they went to the courtyard and frantically destroyed these documents. I swear it's like something out of a movie, man. But the escalation of tensions between the U.S. and China are getting pretty fierce. Now, Trump has been tough on China for quite some time. Earlier this year, we saw China moving a strike group through the South China Sea between Taiwan. This got a lot of people angry. China has been trying to assert control in this area for a very long time, infringing on the territorial waters of other countries, even sinking Vietnamese fishing boats. In response, the U.S. has sent in destroyers and sent aircraft carriers to the region. Suffice it to say, we are dangerously close to a war with China. But now we have a GOP senator arguing that we need to fundamentally rethink our relationship because tensions are getting hot. We've already seen tons of articles going back years warning us about something called Thucydides' trap which basically is saying that as China grows in power, the likelihood of war with the U.S. becomes almost entirely, well, closer to one, like it's actually going to happen. Many people want to avert this, but we're now entering what some describe as a Cold War. Well, some argue that the Cold War started a long time ago. Others argue it's beginning just now. Some are very pessimistic about it, and others are still rather pessimistic, but less so. But amid all of of this, there are questions about who's handling things properly. Of course, media propaganda seems to have emerged like clockwork perfectly right around the time the closure was announced. Stories are blaming Trump, saying he's doing a terrible job. And it's probably just because it's an opportunity for the media to once again say orange man bad. Or maybe it's because there are a lot of powerful interests who have financial ties to China and are worried about what it really means as this escalation and tit for tat continues. Let's get started and read about exactly what's going on with China and why they were torching these documents, as you can see on the screen. The first story from CNN, U.S. orders closure of Chinese consulate in Houston. Before we get started, however, head over to timcast.com donate if you'd like to support my work. There are many ways you can give, but the best thing you can do is seriously just subscribe to this channel. I assumed most people would, but surprisingly, around half or so people don't subscribe to my channel, even though they do consistently watch. So if you really want to make sure YouTube is sending you my videos when they come out, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button and hit that notification bell. Let's read the news. CNN reports. The United States government has abruptly ordered China to cease all operations and events at its consulate in Houston, Texas, according to the Chinese foreign ministry, in what it called an unprecedented escalation. In recent actions taken by Washington, U.S. State Department spokeswoman Morgan Ortega said the consulate was directed to close, quote, in order to protect American intellectual property and Americans' private information, but did not immediately provide additional details of what prompted the closure. Now, I'm going to stop right here and just say it appears to be that they believe China was trying to steal COVID research. Relations between China and the U.S. have plummeted in in the past year amid an ongoing trade war the coronavirus pandemic and U.S. criticism of China's human rights abuses in Hong Kong and Xinjiang. A spokesperson for the State Department said in a separate statement that China has engaged for years in massive illegal spying and influence operations and that those activities have increased markedly in scale and scope over the past few years. Late Tuesday evening, police in Houston said they responded to reports of smoke in the courtyard outside the consulate located on Montrose Boulevard in the city's midtown area. Local media shared a video of what happened to be of what happened to be officials inside the compound burning documents. What could they possibly be burning? I'm sure a lot of it's nonsense, but hey, loose lips sink ships, they say, right? China knows full well any bit of information from inside that building seized by the U.S. will be used against them. So they just lighten it all up. In a statement posted on its official social media, the Chinese foreign ministry said the order to close the consulate was, quote, a political provocation unilaterally unilaterally launched by the U.S. side, which seriously violates international law, basic norms governing international relations, and the bilateral consular agreement between China and the U.S. The Chinese foreign ministry condemned the decision and urged the U.S. to withdraw it. The statement goes on to say that the U.S. has been, quote, shifting the blame to China with stigmatization and unwarranted attacks against China's social system harassing Chinese diplomatic and consular staff in the US, intimidating and interrogating Chinese students and confiscating their personal electronic electrical devices, even detaining them without cause. It added China is committed to the principle of non-interference. Infiltration and interference is never in the in the in the genes and tradition of China's foreign policy. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is currently in Europe, where he has been rallying rallying leaders on the continent to take a harder line with Beijing. And meeting with exiled dissidents, Pompeo declined to offer further details about the ordered closure when asked Wednesday. Now, this escalation isn't just about the 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 spying of uh, of of COVID research. It has a lot to do with Hong Kong. Trump recently signed an executive order granting substantial powers to us, I believe, essentially to seize the property of individuals, anyone, even Americans, seem to be engaged in activities that would suppress the rights of those in Hong Kong. I'm trying to be very careful because it was an extensive executive order. I'm not a lawyer, but it really does sound like Trump and the Department of Justice are, not, are they're not playing games anymore. Bill Barr called out Hollywood and big tech for cozying up to China, saying you better watch yourself. Otherwise, you have to register as foreign agents if you keep giving in to what China wants. Making note that in the U.S., for instance, the, the iPhone, The FBI or the DOJ, they don't have a backdoor access to to, to the iPhone. And perhaps it's a good thing. I mean, we have our civil rights here. We have the Fourth Amendment. But in China, Bill Barr notes, do you think they'd be able to sell the iPhone in China without giving China access? They're an authoritarian government. Yeah, I don't think so. If that's the case, then these big tech companies are giving them serious powers. CNN says, according to a statement on its website, the Houston consulate covers eight southern U.S. states, including Texas and Florida, as well as Puerto Rico. It was the it was, quote, Uh, was the first consulate to be established in 1979 after the U.S. and China established diplomatic relations, though a liaison office was currently operating in Washington, D.C. at the time. On Tuesday, U.S. prosecutors charged two alleged Chinese hackers over, quote, sweeping global computer intrusion program that they say was supported by the country's government and aimed at coronavirus treatment and vaccine research. The indictment also marks the first time that the US has accused the hackers of working on behalf of the Chinese government. So, as we can see here in these posts from local news, the fire department came out, put a ladder up over the building. I guess they were here's what they say Houston fire and police are responding to reports of documents being burned at the consulate general of China. They mention the address. Here's what the scene looks like right now Things are getting spicy, man. China's vowing to retaliate after US orders closure of its consulate in Houston. They say Beijing immediately vowed to retaliate for the unprecedented escalation, leading to speculation it could order the closure of the U.S. consulate in Wuhan. In Wuhan, of all places, huh? Very interesting. Which has been shuttered since the novel coronavirus epidemic spread across the city in January. I mean, it's already shut down for obvious reasons. But man, I'll tell you what. The thing you got to understand about war and conflict is it's kind of like a cockroach. You see one on the wall, there's a thousand hiding behind it what that means in relation to this when you see chinese officials rushing to burn documents i'm fairly certain we are not getting the full scale story of what's really going on now again people have said we're in a cold war and we're we're dangerously close to a hot war they say analysts on both sides say that bilateral relations are at their worst since before 1979 when the United States formally recognized the People's Republic of China. At this rate, I wouldn't even be surprised if Trump decides to sever diplomatic relations with China someday, said Chu Shulong, a professor in American politics and diplomacy in Tsinghua University, suggesting this part of President Trump's reelection strategy. Well, I'll stop you right there. GOP Senator warns of China sentry reveals plan to unravel U.S. Beijing ties. Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn has released a new white paper calling on Washington, D.C. to broadly reshape its relationship with the Chinese Communist Party amid the coronavirus crisis, warning that failure to do so may allow Beijing to set the global narrative and encourage authoritarianism worldwide. Here, here. I agree, man. Listen, I've talked about this quite a bit, the NBA's custom jerseys, where you could write any message you want on the back of a jersey, any name, except for slurs. And free Hong Kong. The NBA said, This was but a humble glitch, and we will fix it. And then ultimately decided to remove the entire thing altogether. You're not going to be seeing these high profile NBA businesses and corporations saying free Hong Kong anytime soon. Why? They're they're, they're starting to make a lot of money in China. So we've even seen, seen high profile individuals with the NBA, most of you know the story, refuse to call out the human rights abuses. This is where things get scary. If we don't stand up now and call them out, our corporations and our social norms will be overrun by Chinese authoritarianism, the Chinese Communist Party. Blackburn, a prominent critic of China, China critic, who has long lobbied for closer scrutiny of U.S. ties with Beijing, published her white paper Wednesday against a backdrop of deteriorating Washington-Beijing relations and the closing of the Chinese consulate in Houston. In her paper, Blackburn describes 2020 as a momentous year in U.S.-China relations Thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, a raft of trade tensions, territorial disputes and human rights issues, though, these issues are pushing lawmakers and voters towards more China skeptic sentiment. Blackburn told Newsweek Tuesday that her paper offers detail on how to translate that into policy. It sounds simple to say, well, let's cut off the interaction here or let's stop doing trade with them. But it's not that simple. It's truly an unraveling. And this unraveling is going to take us several years and you have to have a blueprint from which to start. So that has been the purpose of the white paper. What you have to begin to do is look at how China is pressing to make the 21st century that China century Blackburn continued. We have this story. It goes well beyond just the China century Blackburn. They say it's Donald Trump's election strategy, but we have the story here. China may retaliate against Nokia Ericsson if EU bans Huawei from the Wall Street Journal yes, a lot of things have been going on, man. I believe the UK may have banned Huawei. I'm not entirely sure, but the concerns are that they want to install cellular infrastructure and they could use it to spy. There was a big scandal not that long ago where conspiracy theories were spreading that if you bought, say, a toaster from China, it could, in fact, have a hidden Wi-Fi or Bluetooth signal stealing your information, surreptitiously connecting to the Internet and sending that to China. In response, apparently, I believe it was the armed forces banned goods that were made in China. Now, I don't know about all that. It's a big conspiracy. A lot of people were concerned. But I think one of the big issues for now is, look, if you believe in America and you want to help the economy, you should probably buy American. Because when these companies send these manufacturing jobs over to China, that those dollars, that that revenue goes to the Chinese government, the Communist Party and workers. And though we can support the workers for sure, they're not living in in, in good conditions, to say the least. And let's not don't get me started on Hong Kong. China vows to retaliate after Trump ends special economic status. I mean, it was well beyond just ending special economic status. Trump's executive order was bold. It it sounded like they were saying they'd take your stuff if you work with China in any way. Look, right now, China is suppressing the rights of the people of Hong Kong. The executive order could suspend their ability to trade in the US. Basically everyone in China. This freaked them out. So they vowed retaliation. So let's 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 try it again. They vow retaliation for Hong Kong. They vow retaliation over Huawei. They're vowing retaliation of the closure of the consulate. Suffice it to say, tensions are getting hot. Now, I want to go back. I want to go back to that first story that mentioned that Mike Pompeo is in Europe trying to rally support from our allies to, to be harder on Beijing. Don't forget it, because now it's time to play politics amid the story of the consulate we all of a sudden see these these stories try claiming this is all about Donald Trump's re-election. Trump accelerates China's punishments in time for re-election. The president is starting to punish China on everything, including issues that have long-standing points of friction, that that have been long-standing points of friction, but that Trump often avoided. Could it be that Trump wants to make sure he puts these motions in place in the event he loses an election and he wants to get it done? Perhaps. Could it be that Trump is trying to say, look, I'm tough on China, a vote for me? Yeah, maybe that's fair as well. But I got to point out that the propaganda is thick. I bring you now to this story from Vox. This story came out last month. Donald Trump is vulnerable on China. So is Joe Biden. They say China is poised to be the key foreign policy issue during the 2020 election. And the fight over which party and which candidate can, can best handle the country is in full swing. To President Donald Trump, it's a matter of who's tougher On that metric, he, of course, believes he has the upper hand. He launched a trade war against China, has sharply criticized Beijing for reacting slowly to COVID, and can say he he prioritized U.S.-China relations far more than his predecessors. Former Vice President Joe Biden, meanwhile, argues Trump has been nothing more than tough talk, weak action on China, according to one of his top advisors. Namely, he'll point to how the trade war hasn't yet bolstered the American economy as Trump promised, and how Trump has cozied up to to Chinese President Xi Jinping. However, Biden isn't really saying how he'll be much better than Trump, just that he would be. One thing is clear, though. Biden would aim to rally American allies to push back on Beijing, whereas Trump has preferred the US handle the problem alone. What? (laughs) Well, you spoke too soon, Vox, because as we now learned, just within the month, Mike Pompeo is certainly trying to rally rally support from our allies. So if that's the only criticism you have, I'm sorry. You have nothing to stand on. Joe Biden absolutely, at least in my opinion, would be very soft on China. You see, Barack Obama's take on the whole China thing. How do we stop the erosion of our manufacturing base, our working class and the encroachment of Chinese authoritarianism? I know. Free trade, says Barack Obama, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That would make our economic ties connected so they wouldn't necessarily overtake us. Oh, spare me. We were seeing factories and jobs move over to China like crazy. How does it make sense? Listen, I've known this for a long time as a skateboarder. How does it make sense they cut down a tree in Canada, send that tree to China for processing to become a skateboard, send it to California to be, to be put in a warehouse and then distributed across the US? That to me seemed absurd, especially if you're an environmentalist concerned about carbon emissions. Well, the issue was Chinese labor was just so cheap, it was easier to actually send Canadian rock maple to China for processing and back to the US. To me, that seems nonsensical. Maybe there's something I'm missing about all this, but I don't see how that free trade agreement was going to be good for us. In fact, many leftists also agreed it was a bad idea. Why should I now be convinced that Joe Biden, who was the vice president at the time, is going to be tough on China? No, I'm sorry. I think he'll be more than soft. I'll think, I think he'll be the opposite. I think he'll be buddy-buddy with China. That's my big concern. China is engaging in serious, horrific atrocities, and I am not confident Biden will do anything about it. You know why? The atrocities were going on while Obama was in office, so no thank you. I'm not here to, sit, to, sit, to claim that Donald Trump is better, you know, or, or, or better than, you know, or I, I, should, I should say the best, like he's perfect, but to clarify, no, no, he's definitely better than Biden. The best you have an argument, even even good. You want to have an argument? Fine. But better than Biden? You better believe it. They go on to mention that last week, the Democratic National Committee launched a 30-second ad in swing, stakes, swing states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, blasting Trump's trade war. Trump said he'd get tough on China. He didn't get tough. He got played. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to this criticism where they say Joe Biden would, would criticize Trump for, you know, the fact that the trade war hasn't bolstered the American economy, as Trump promised. I mean, what? It, lit- it, literally, it literally did. What do, you, what do you mean? We had three years of the best economy we'd ever seen. Jim Cramer of CNBC, the best numbers of our lives, he said. Now, OK, maybe that wasn't the trade war. Maybe that was in spite of the trade war. So what? That's still Trump being tough on China. that, that That's it. Well, Trump countered this with his own ad where he basically said, Joe Biden, China's puppet, mentioning that Biden's son, Hunter, received over a billion dollars from a Chinese owned government uh, government state owned was a Chinese government state owned bank. There you go. They mention Joe Biden wanted to give China most favored nation status to normalize trade relations. Now, you can argue, you know, whether Joe Biden is, is better or worse. Fine. The point I'm bringing up is the propaganda is flying off the walls the day after we saw the documents being burned. Here's one. Trump blasts Beijing in public, but privately, Trump org imports tons of Chinese goods. Yeah, a lot of the stuff we make is made in China, and Trump is probably trying to do away with it. Sorry, still not convinced. The bigger concern I have is over whether or not things are going to escalate into a hot war. That's the conversation we've been seeing. The Cold War between the US and China, things are certainly getting worse than they've ever been. The propaganda, however, man. This one. The New York Times says opinion piece. My relatives in Wuhan survived. My uncle in New York did not. My father, a Chinese pulmonologist, believes his brother could have been saved. OK, it, it it'd probably be fair to, to, to read you through the entire thing. I'm not going to do that because I do want to talk about, you know, the Cold War, the potential for war. That's what's really scary. But this propaganda to, to, to this extreme, I think, must be addressed. My relatives in Wuhan survived, and I believe the reason they did, with all due respect to your family, is because China is an authoritarian dictatorship. They were welding people into their homes. They were detaining people at, by force, barricading their homes shut. Videos were emerging of people walking into houses finding people who had died. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. We may have problems in New York, but you, you got you to balance freedom and security. Now, to be fair, I am torn between agreeing with the man and saying perhaps the reason your uh, uh, your your uh, uncle didn't make it is because of Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio specifically. But no, sorry, man. Look, I understand that Cuomo and de Blasio made serious errors and, and Cuomo's responsible for a lot of the death in the nursing homes. But you're not going to see me praising China, especially not with what's going on over the Uyghur Muslims and with, with what's going on in Hong Kong. You know, they're basically going after, they're going to suspend the rights of these individuals. Well, here's the bigger conversation. The United States and China enter a new Cold War from John Kemp. The abrupt closure of China's consulate in Houston marks the latest incident in a rapidly escalating conflict between China and the United States. I got to mention, this is a really amazing photograph. You see two flags, China and the US, and in focus behind it is the sickle and hammer. Very interesting. Future historians will probably focus on 2020 as the point when intensifying strategic competition between the U.S. and China turned into a new Cold War. The two superpowers are now engaged in conflict across multiple geographic theaters. South Asia, wow, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Australia, Europe, Africa, Latin America, and multiple vectors, trade, investment, technology, espionage, institutions, health policy, naval air power, missiles, and territorial disputes. The superpowers have articulated a lengthening list of grievances and almost no significant interests in common. Both are attempting to push third countries into an alliance system that would see the world carved into two decoupled blocks, red versus blue, with us or against us. Total confrontation, basically the definition of Cold War. Some policymakers and strategic studies analysts still hesitate to employ the Cold War War concept, wary of the analogy between the decades-long U.S. and USSR conflict and its implications for international relations in the medium and long term. But there is no doubt both countries increasingly see and describe the conflict in existential terms. If it looks like a Cold War and sounds like a Cold War, it probably is a Cold War, and the concept illuminates more than it hides. But how close are we to major hot conflict? I don't know. A hot war is when people start firing bullets. We've already had the elephant walk in Guam, the strike group from China coming out in the South China Sea. Many people have said to me, Tim, China is but a paper tiger. They could not actively stand up against the US. Fortunately for them, they may not have to. You see, the US is facing a crisis of its own. We are tearing each other apart from the inside while a greater threat is growing and brewing. And maybe that's the real strategy. You know, you don't have to actually win the fight if you can manipulate and control those who you would have to fight. Perhaps China realized this. Joe Biden himself said he believes that Russia and China would, uh, I believe, are interfering in our election process. So what do we do? We're too busy fighting ourselves. Progressives apparently want, uh, want Joe Biden to tone things down on China. Sure, we can call him out. But that's some of the reporting coming out of Vox. I don't think we can stand for that. And I don't trust Joe Biden. If he's going to fly his son out to China for some equity deal. Why would I pick him to be the one to challenge China? I tweeted something. It's very speculative. I wonder if the reason we are in, in, in this dramatic turmoil in our own country is because there are financial interests in the US billionaires, wealthy corporations that have financial ties to China. They're scared that if Trump wins and goes after China, they will lose a lot of money. I mean, look at the NBA, for instance. They won't even call out the crisis with the Uyghur Muslims. I don't see them talking about it, let alone Hong Kong. So where do they put their money? Into politicians who oppose Trump because they know how bad it really is. But do they really want to lose their power? It seems like some of these people would rather watch the U.S. burn, the markets crash and people suffer so long as their financial interests are secured. And that, to me, is actually scary. I'm not saying I know it's for sure why they're doing it. But I look to many of these billionaires who refuse to call out China. And when they make financial contributions and support politicians, I'm sure it's a factor. Just my opinion. I do believe that what Mike Pompeo is doing right now in Europe is one of the most important jobs being done. I I hope he's successful, but I'm I'm operating under the assumption that he's trying to get them to call out the crisis with Uyghur Muslims and Hong Kong. I certainly hope so. I have no problem with China becoming a very powerful country and an economic superpower. That's all fine. Good for them. So long as they aren't an oppressive authoritarian state. And unfortunately, they are the China century. That's what they say. That's what Marshall Blackburn is saying. Well, I'll tell you what. They, they say that China plans hundreds of years in advance and we're too busy. I believe this was Bill Barr who said it thinking in terms of quarterly returns. What does that mean for us? I don't know. Get what go broke. We'll chase after the, tr- the, 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 the fad and the trend of the day to make as much as we can in, in the immediate. And then in 10, 20 years, there's nothing left. The country completely extracted a withered husk. Meanwhile, China, which is literally putting people in concentration camps, will grow and they'll do it to more and more people. The U.S. has a, has a, a, a difficult history, no doubt, but we've done better. There is no way the U.S. would get away with what China is doing today. Yet for some reason, these insurgent far left groups that are attacking our institutions aren't calling out China. For some reason, climate change activists like Greta Thunberg aren't calling out China. Now, why is that? You tell me, but someone needs to do it. I'll tell you what, unfortunate for for liberals in this country, it's Donald Trump. Yep, take it or leave it. If you're paying attention, you'd understand Joe Biden's not not he's not going to do a good job on this one. We'll see how things play out. The next segment is coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews And I will see you all there. Day 55 of the Battle of Portland. And we're seeing the same thing we've seen over and over and over again. Far leftists marching to the streets, acting like they're fighting some valiant war against the feds. But the reality is the feds are just holding the line. The federal police wanted to get rid of them they would do it in 2 seconds. But listen, after 55 days of this, there's only so much I can tell you, but we do, we do have big developments. And I decided well I could tell you about say 12 more jurisdictions that are rejecting federal authority, and we'll talk about it, or a corpse found in the burned wreckage of a pawn shop after the violent rioters in Minneapolis burned down a pawn shop, turns out somebody was inside it and they killed this person. I'm going to start with this particular story, because it exemplifies the stupidity of many of these people who are involved in this stupid game of cops and robbers. And I'm going to call it a stupid game. Now to the feds, it's not a game. But to a lot of these far leftists, they're playing a game and it's overtly political. While it's fine to say that maybe there there are real political ramifications for what the left is doing, many of these people who are showing up with umbrellas, up against guys who have live ammo. Clearly, they don't actually think they're in danger. They do not actually think they will be physically hurt. They are playing a game. But here's the problem. None of them want to admit it. Andy No tweeted this. Antifa Black Block militant beats up Black Lives Matter supporting photographer Mason Lake Photo. Mason Lake was accused of communicating with Portland police, and a bounty has been put on him on social media by Antifa and the Portland riots. Someone responded to Andy saying, do you have sources for this alleged bounty? I'd like to see that as well. Look, I think Andy does a a fairly decent job. I don't think he gets it right every single time. Nobody does. But he tweeted it out. Is it true? I don't know. Well, what did the journalist who was actually attacked say? This journalist says, someone really doesn't want me there filming. I got to write a letter to Team Wendy about their helmets worth every penny. I took probably eight to 10 punches to the head. I stayed out for two assaults by the feds still and got footage of their attacks on protesters. Many media persons were attacked tonight. I learned a fellow journalist took a less lethal round to the head. The feds are taking us journalists out one by one with any means at their disposal. Arrests, beatings, attempted murder, framing, intimidating. These are all fascists, dictatorship tactics. Why are they trying to eliminate the media? What do they have to hide? Is it war crimes pure? uh, It is war crimes, pure and simple. They are trying to hide their war crimes against Portland citizens by censoring the press. Ladies and gentlemen, the most extravagant, performative games of cops and robbers. Mason, truly a wonderful performance. War crimes? You commented on a video of the Antifa people beating you up. There's the best part. Although he tweeted this, the feds are trying to shut me down. What did he actually do? (laughs) He retweeted Andy No so I'm confused by this. Mason Lake photo retweeted Andy No saying that they put a bounty on him. Then later he comes out and tries claiming the feds are trying to cover up war crimes. I tell you what, man, these kids, they don't realize that they're not, they're not playing uh, a game. I mean, they think they are, but eventually, you know, you, you, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. That's, that's really what it is. They're, they're, they're one of these dumb people who thinks they're going to go on the, you know, the running of the bulls or whatever. And they're like, hee hee oh, there's bulls. They're going to get me. And then all of a sudden they get gored and they're like, oh, help, I'm being gored. Yeah. You see, these officers for now have kept a tempered blade. Is that the right word? They've, they've, they've not actually come out swinging. They've been very defensive. They've been very calm. You can call it whatever you want. War crimes, secret police, but they're seemingly doing the bare minimum to try and stop uh, put fires out for the most part and push people back. If they really wanted to like rendition you, you can thank Obama for their legal ability to do so. Which brings me now, I'm just going to, you know what, before I get to the, to the severity of this, I want to show you this. This really exemplifies my point. Griffin, who apparently is on the ground, I suppose, tweeted, this one's titled Portland protesters winning. Shields, leaf blowers, drums, umbrellas, the most confidence I've seen. The feds retreat and protesters push forward, pelting them as they go inside the doors. They have no fear. No fear. Yeah, you know why they have no fear? Because the feds aren't actually trying to hurt you. Let me give you the real title, friends. I said the actual title is Feds are not actually trying to hurt people. Heaven help you if they were. You know why? They could fire way more beanbags if they so desired. They could fire live ammunition if they so desired. Now, of course, like I said, there's political ramifications to doing so. So they're taking the slow roll approach. They are holding the line and that's about it. Every so often we see videos of the feds coming out. They might grab arrest someone. They might clear out the area and then they go back to the courthouse. That's about it. Of course, if you're reading the New York Times, you'll hear that they're like secret police renditioning people and like snatching random people off the street. There were like two videos of this. And all of a sudden it's like this crazy story. I love it. The memes, the memes are glorious. They just banned on Twitter QAnon. And I I really got to say, you know, Twitter is loving allowing the far left to just vomit in each other's ears. There are someone sent me like 50 tweets of all of these different people claiming that Blackwater is on scene, that it's the it's the paramilitary of the feds. They're coming to rendition us. It's it's like, dude, these kids live in a fictitious reality. First of all, I'm pretty sure it's not even called Blackwater anymore. But these guys, they're saying are unidentified. Secret police literally have badges and literally have their, their badge numbers on their arms. There's one photo going around where a news article says unidentified police and they show a photo of a guy with his name <laughs> and CBP and his badge number on his arm. But they want to pretend they want to act like it's some crazy secret. You know, we're fighting. We're, we are La resistance, fighting against the evil fascist dictators. Ra. OK, dude, you, 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 you guys, we're not playing games here. I bring you now back to Minneapolis. Police find body in building burned down during George Floyd protests. Dear God, this is what nightmares are made of. The body was found at the site of a Minneapolis pawn shop that was set on fire just days after the death of Mr. Floyd. This body's been in there for nearly two months. I wonder if anyone was asking where their friend, their father, their brother, their sister. I don't know, you know who this person was were there people saying help find this missing person they've been missing since the riots killed by the by the rioters literally killed by the rioters they think they're playing games when they start fires let me tell you when you see these federal officers come out and start clearing people away you want to know why they're doing it it's because of stories like this but these 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 dumb people who are engaging in this nonsensical assault on a federal fortress, let's be real, it's a gigantic concrete and steel building. They think that they're playing a game. It's fun. The protesters are winning. Yeah, Trump could, could invoke the Insurrection Act and send in the National Guard, the army, to just control the streets. Done. Nothing, you know, it's the end of it. But he's not. Because we don't live in a fascist dictatorship. It's not war crimes. It's literally just some riot control. Calm down. Well, I'll tell you why they're engaging in riot control. And it's this it's stories just like this. You see, these dumb kids don't understand how the world works. So when the riots break out in Minneapolis, people start starting fires and they're all laughing, going like, hee hee, yay, a fire, and then you burn down a building and you're like, Wow, look at the burn the burning building. And then two months later, oh, there was a person in that building. Yeah. So when they try starting fires outside of the federal courthouse. It is no surprise then that DHS, CBP, they come out and they start firing rubber bullets and tear gas. I don't know if they're actually firing rubber bullets. It might be beanbags, but perhaps rubber bullets. But tear gas for sure. I believe it's been reported rubber bullets. And they, they act like, oh, oh, help, help. I'm being repressed. I've seen so many people posting online saying, like, I don't understand. Why do the feds keep coming out of the building? That's because you're not getting real news. I think it's funny. Somebody posted one of the videos from me from the other day and I see all these lefties commenting, saying that I'm like making things up or something like that. And I'm like, I'm just reading you what the journalists are saying. And I'm giving you my opinion on it. Perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps, you know, everything's exaggerated across the board. But I have seen videos of them trying to start fires, bash the windows in, and it's been reported by sympathetic journalists that they've breached the doors before. What, do you, what, what about this from the New York Times? Am I making this up? Is this something that should be ignored? Should we pretend like this person's life didn't matter? Should we pretend like it's all just a protest when they burned down a building and killed the person inside? Should we pretend like what's going on in Portland is a protest when they're trying to set fire to the wooden barricades around the building and there are people inside the building? Should we pretend? No. We call it like it is. A bunch of stupid young people, not necessarily young, but a, a group of very large a very large group of dumb people, including moms, dads, regular people, whatever you want to call it, far leftists, insurrectionists, insurgency, whatever. That was one of the things they got mad about. Because I, call, I, call the, I put far left insurgents breach the courthouse. What am I supposed to say? It's not a riot. A riot, tip, like look, a riot is when the, the, the White Sox win the World Series. And then in Chicago, they flip cars over. That's a riot. It's, it's, it's random, meaningless, nonsensical. The riot control come in, shut it all down a riot is when people run around smashing windows. A riot is not when a group of politically active individuals whose goal is the overthrow of the government, breach a federal courthouse and try and shut down uh, and try and target federal agents. That is not a riot, okay? We're talking about something totally different. So you know what? I guess I'm going to have to say insurgents or something. But I'll tell you what, we're playing for keeps. It's. It, it, I think these kids are definitely... They, they don't realize the severity of what they're doing. They're useful idiots and they're having fun. I assure you, the moment a couple live bullets fly from any side, you're going to see a lot of these people just flee. They'll never come back. The moms, the regular people, they're only out there because tear gas is not a big deal. Seriously. Even some of the reporters are saying that a lot of these activists are no, no longer fear the tear gas. Try the tear gas in Egypt, Turkey or Brazil. Let's talk about tear gas. Wow, man. I've been tear gassed several times. The tear gas they've used in the United States is, in my opinion, laughable. You, you close your eyes, you hold your breath, and you walk through it. You're fine. You don't need a gas mask. Now, in Turkey, whew, oh boy, in Brazil, in Brazil getting tear gassed, that's what nightmares were made of. Wow, they used some crazy stuff. I had just mucus pouring out of every every hole on my face. It was I had no choice but to retreat. That was intense. Portland? They're barely, it's its like the most pathetic tier. It's, it's its like, it's CS smoke. It's an irritant. And you're like, oh man, I'm coughing. Oh heavens. What do I do? Look, man, you can't, you can't start a fire around one of these buildings. The feds are allowed to do what they do. they uh, you know, obviously there's constraints legally, but when Donald Trump says we're going to protect federal courthouses and they're trying to burn it down, I need you to look at stories like this from the New York times. They say acting on an, an anonymous tip, the authorities in Minneapolis this week discovered the body of a man inside a building that was burned down during protests. You see the game they play, New York Times? A, a person was burned alive inside a building by violent riots. And they say, protests. Protests. The body was found Monday as the authorities searched through debris at the site of the pawn shop at 2726 East Lake Street, in Minneapolis three miles from the site of where uh, Floyd lost his life. On May 28th, three days after his death, the building was set on fire. In June, officials charged Montez Terriel Lee with arson after video footage surfaced of Mr. Lee pouring liquid from a metal container throughout the pawn shop. The death of the man whose body was found and whose name the authorities did not release is being investigated as a homicide. The Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office said Tuesday it had no information to release on the cause of death. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I would love to pay for any one of these people to go to an actual war zone and to actually experience. I want I want I want to see these people look into the eyes of the person whose family member was killed. Go to the family member of uh, of, of anybody who lost their life in, in these riots or internationally as they scream and bang on the wall. I want you to look them in the eyes and I want you to think, you know, and, and keep playing your stupid game. This one's called Portland protesters are winning marching forward with an umbrella against federal officers who are doing their job and not trying to uh, engage necessarily. They're just trying to keep, you know, people pushed back away from the courthouse is not winning anything. You are being permitted. That's what's happening. Well, I'll tell you what the escalation is. My friends, I tell you, man, things are getting spicy. More than a dozen mayors joined Portland in asking Trump administration to withdraw federal forces withdraw federal forces. Well, hold on a second. This is a dramatic escalation. Federal law enforcement is all over the country in various cities. And in Portland, the federal officers are just in their courthouse guarding their building. They're not patrolling streets. They're not occupying street corners. They didn't go downtown and remove the mayor and sit in their chair. None of that has happened. They say they're unidentified secret police, but they have badges. Not even kidding. There's a meme going around where people are like, "What? what is this? It's unidentified police. And it's a guy, his name is literally on his badge. It's a uh, Obriac. It's, it's, his, it's a public photo with his name on it and his badge number. They're lying about everything. And now they're trying to force federal law enforcement to leave their own jurisdiction in 12 different cities, more than a dozen. So more than 12. You know where we're going states are asserting their authority over the federal government. At least these cities are. We'll see how the states handle. But in Oregon, the attorney general is suing the federal government. This could potentially I mean, look, I'm, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm just speculating. But I'd imagine with the attorney general filing a lawsuit against the federal government based on the feds, you know, doing their thing, what happens if the AG loses? Clearly, it's the state going up against the feds. It's got to make its way to a federal court, potentially then the Supreme Court. Maybe. What if the Supreme Court rules that based on the circumstances, in the event of local law enforcement standing down and violent riots sweeping the city, federal law enforcement does have the right to patrol streets and enforce local ordinance? What if that happens? Or at the very least, what happens if uh, Oregon loses and they say, nope, DHS can do this? Well, there you go. It's going to assert an authority that didn't need to be. Right now, the feds are just protecting the courthouse. If the AG loses on this one, it could turn into something dramatically different because I really do not believe the feds will agree. A federal, you think a federal courts going to be like, state your case, attorney general. Well, we think federal law enforcement shouldn't be allowed to, to protect federal jurisdiction. The federal judge is going to be like, that's absurd. We have, we have jurisdiction in these buildings and we're allowed to protect them. End of story. So, what's the only thing that can really happen? An opinion that asserts the right to actually patrol the streets expands the authority of the DHS? I think that's the only way it can go. Either their powers remain where they are or it expands. Now, this is crazy. I'll tell you what. Look at this. They say a letter signed by mayors of Portland, Seattle, Atlanta, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Boston, Philadelphia, Denver, L.A., San Jose, Oakland, Tucson, Sacramento, Phoenix, Kansas City, and Missouri calls on the administration to withdraw federal forces from the cities where they are currently deployed and halt plans to send them elsewhere. Protesters, I love it, even after several people have died, and federal agents have clashed in Portland, well, okay, not in Portland, have, have clashed in Portland where protests have, have lasted more than 50 days. It's not a protest when you tear down the doors of a federal building and attack federal law enforcement. I'm sorry. It's not a protest when your stated goal is to attack law enforcement. That's something different. They said out of the 4th of July weekend, the Trump admin dispatched teams of federal agents to the city. The president said the effort was to protect federal property, but protesters say the action itself has fueled the public's outrage. Maybe it did. But what's, what, what, what are you, you going to do about it? I think it's fair to say that the deployment, uh, both of those statements are true. You see, you see what they tried doing, CNN, what CNN tries doing? They tried doing, the president said it was to protect federal property, but protesters say it fueled the outrage. Those are not related. They have nothing to do with each other. Both can be true sending in federal law enforcement to protect federal, federal jurisdiction, outraged the, uh, the, the public. Done. But what do you want to do? Do you think that the feds are going to be like, by all means, burn down the building, destroy all the evidence and documentation and get all the criminals that we've arrested free you know, released, C- corrupt all of their cases? No, they're going to be like, if for 39 nights, it was 30, that's how many nights it was. You besiege this building. We will eventually come out to enforce the law. So what happens now when we're at a point where they're literally saying federal law enforcement must withdraw. You have no jurisdiction here and they're suing over it, man. Like I mentioned this the other day, Tom Cotton said Fort Sumter, you know, the, uh, the, 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 union forces, the, the federal, you know, the, the North were in this fort and the South said, get out the North won. So I, I, I'm not saying there's anything like that. Uh, in the grand scheme of things. I don't know. I can say it's getting interesting to see all these states assert their jurisdiction over the federal authorities when it comes to their own courthouses. Yeah, I mean, look, we've had we, we have FBI, we have DEA, we have federal law enforcement. They operate all throughout the country. New York, Chicago, L.A., the FBI has offices. How would it make sense if they said, we want the FBI to leave. You'd be like, no, the FBI has an office here and we're going to stay in the building. Now I get it. We're talking about CBP. We're talking about the pact, right? I don't know. I don't, I forgot what the acronym means, but we're talking about a deployment of specific federal law enforcement. And I, I believe they call it like the elite customs and border patrol unit. A lot of these guys are former military. They're CBP, man. They typically deal with border stuff. And now they're protecting federal facilities. Should Trump just allow federal facilities to go down, be destroyed, raided, ransacked? He can't. So maybe you can complain when the feds come with a bunch of APCs, occupy your street corners, and the entire city is locked down. Then you can say, hey, this is too much. But if you are not going to enforce the law against these people, don't be surprised when the feds do it. To see these people come out and straight up say, get out, this right here is a very dramatic escalation. But for those that are, that are, that are watching, I'll wrap it up with this. Why don't you do me a favor? Show them this New York Times story. Show them the story about a guy who was in a a pawn shop and the rioters, murderers, murderer, whatever, set it on fire. I want you to, to, to tell them, look at this pawn shop. Some guy burned it down. Turns out two months later, they found a dead body burned to death, burned alive. So what do you think we should do when these lunatics in Portland try burning the building down? Trying to set the barricades on fire. I know it's a stone and steel structure on the outside, the facade, the concrete facade. It's concrete. But I'm pretty sure fire can spread very easily throughout these buildings. S- buildings like this can burn. There's, there's flammable materials. Should the feds do nothing? And if that building is destroyed, what does that mean? I believe that would bring us to a f- overt civil war. Now, some, I've had a lot of people say to me, civil war isn't the right word. We'll have the discussion, we'll carry it on. And they said, the reason is, that it's more of like a domestic insurgency or terror. It happens. It's happened before. It doesn't mean the state is threatened. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to let you finish. But I'm going to I'm going to say this. When the state is using its resources to protect the the insurrectionists or whatever, meaning they're not prosecuting them and the police are standing down, but they're suing the feds to force the feds to retreat. The state is on the side of, of this insurgency. When you have a mayoral candidate saying that they are Antifa and Trump has declared Antifa a terror organization, you see where this is going. And that's the main point I made in every single video. The point is, if everything stops now, of course there was never a civil war. They'll say it was just, you know, rioting, ongoing rioting. It, it died down and that was the end of it. If it escalates the historians will argue this is the middle. This is like the early stages, but it started a long time ago. I was, you know, reading, a, like, imagine if, uh, imagine Fort Sumter at the start of the, the first American Civil War. Imagine they laid siege to uh, Fort Sumter for 34 hours of cannon fire. That's what happened. And then the union lost control and then said, we're not going to pursue it anymore. There would have never been an American Civil War. No one would have talked about it but because it escalated they say that was the start and that's the point i'm trying to make it's very possible this all dies down and it's not extreme enough for anyone to really care about and then we never of course there was never a civil war it's also possible that in the next year we have overt insurgency nationwide with 12 different you know 12 plus different cities saying they have the feds have to withdraw have no have no jurisdiction or whatever and then with the escalation in violence between federal authorities and civilians in the various states, they say it is uh, a, a, an uprising or civil war. If the Democrats take a side, which they have, Nancy Pelosi has sided with the insurrectionist types. If the, the the Democratic politicians in these states have already taken a side, we're seeing governmental level insurrection. Then they'll say with with you know the start of the George Floyd riots. So we're in it. This is it. If it ends now, we're good. If it keeps going, it started a long time ago. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Stick around, and I will see you all then. It is the end of an era. Can I get an F for the New York Autonomous Zone? That's right, the NYPD in a pre-dawn raid cleared out Occupy City Hall. They were demanding that the NYPD be defunded, and they won, and then stayed, I guess. They defunded the NYPD to the tune of $1 billion, resulting in activists in New York demanding the police be refunded, which I find kind of funny. because when I first saw the the slogan refund the NYPD, I didn't understand what it meant. Like give them their money back for their purchase. So it means it means reinstate the funding that was taken away. The New York Times spares no words. Officers in riot gear cleared the makeshift camp in City Hall Park, which began as a protest against police abuses, but then turned into a gathering of homeless people. Okay. I'd like to issue a, a correction for the New York Times. It was always a a, a gathering of homeless people. And I'm not saying that to be funny or to be disrespectful. Whenever these activists try and set up any kind of occupation, you immediately, immediately get homeless people who come in. And it's not homeless people like you think, where it's literally just like some old dude with a beard who's like pushing a shopping cart full of tin cans. It's actually young homeless people too, seeing the opportunity for resources and many of them being activists, they show up. I know this because I've been to many Occupations around the country, notably Occupy Wall Street, which was a it did become a gathering of homeless people. Now I'm sure the activists will take offense to that. But let's talk about the accomplishments, police abuses, and the pre-dawn raid by the NYPD. Like I said, let me get an F. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Police officers in riot gear cleared out. Pour one out for the for the autonomous zone. Okay, okay, okay. I'm done. Police officers in riot gear cleared out the Occupy City Hall encampment in City Hall Park near near dawn on Wednesday, shutting down a month-long demonstration against police brutality that recently had attracted numerous homeless. (laughs) Why is homeless people highlight what they Occupy City Hall homeless? Oh, they actually have like a story about the problem of the of the homeless encampment. Oh, look at this. I got I'm not going to log in. So let's just read. A phalanx of officers and helmets started closing in on dozens of protesters and homeless people shortly before 4 a.m., moving in lockstep behind a wall of plastic shields, according to protesters and videos posted on social media. Seven people were arrested after sporadic clashes erupted between officers and residents of the camp. As the police moved to the camp, officers took down a series of tarps and makeshift tents that demonstrators and several homeless people had been living in and tossed them into city garbage trucks. By 8 a.m., city cleaning crews had arrived to scrub graffiti from the walls of several buildings in the area. A similar raid was launched almost a decade ago to dismantle the Occupy Wall Street camp in Zuccotti Park in Lower Manhattan. In November 2011, dozens of officers marched into the park at 1 a.m., rousting protesters who had been there since September and removing their tents, tarps, and belongings. You can see this this photo here. They say the scene at City Hall Park in early July, where protesters set up an encampment, blah, blah. On Wednesday, Yesenia Benitez, 29 of Harlem, said she saw about 100 officers converge on City Hall Park well before sunrise, announcing to protesters and the homeless that they were breaking the law and ordering them to leave at once. Most people dispersed, she said, but a small group watched the police operation from Foley Square a few blocks to the north. A few protesters said the police had told them that they would be able to return to the park to retrieve their belongings. But when they went back, everything, their water, clothing, and personal effects had been tossed into sanitation trucks, they said. The occupation began on June 23rd, when about 100 people set up a camp on on a small patch of grass on the east of City Hall, with the mission of bringing uh, bringing pressure on the City Council to cut New York City's funding and an upcoming vote before the July 1st budget deadline. Within a week, a small squatters colony grew into a ramshackle community. Ramshackle, excellent choice of words. With food service, a hand sanitizing station, and even a library where campers could go to hear lectures on mass incarceration and the school to prison pipeline. Hundreds slept in the park each night, festooning benches and fences with signs decrying racism and police brutality. The plaza's sidewalks became a kind of horizontal gallery of protest art. They say they reached their, their peak in June, June 30th, when thousands crowded into the plaza after dark to watch the council vote on a giant video screen. Well, the council immediately decided to shift nearly $1 billion away from the police. Many of the protesters expressed disappointment, wanting deeper cuts, notably Miss Ocasio-Cortez, who said $1 billion doesn't go far enough. We want more. Well, since then, we, as I've mentioned, we've actually seen community organizers in marginalized communities demanding the police be reinstated. Crime is skyrocketing. So uh, let, me, let me give you a round of applause to all of the, the, the people who occupied this place, got the city to defund the police. And now you're seeing what's like two or 300% increase in shooting, some ridiculous number from from last year. Yeah, violent crime is actually down. Petty crime is down, but murders and shootings have gone up, specifically because the unit that dealt, the anti-crime unit, was totally reassigned amid this uh, uh, budget shift. So congratulations you've earned it. Now let me get to the bigger picture here. While we're, we 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 could lament the loss of our good friends over at the NYC CHAZ or I guess Niaz, the New York Autonomous Zone, there's one thing I can say. If we have learned anything from from these protests, it's it's that there's not going to be police reform in the direction they want. Police powers are actually kind of expanding. I mean, well, n- not necessarily, but I'll put it this way, Right now in New York, people are demanding the police back. Sentiment is give us back our police. In other places, the police are actually taking a heavy handed approach and arresting people, charging them with crimes. And in the instance of Missouri, charging people with crimes that they literally didn't commit, which we'll get to. I want to segue into this, this the whole the whole po- point of this camp Was police reform, except these protests in other parts of the country have resulted in the inverse where the police have gone overboard and it's actually gotten worse. So I'll tell you this. What have we earned from these glorious autonomous zone protests? We've earned cities moving money. That's about it. Crime has skyrocketed. We've earned that. Yes, some police have been defunded and things got worse. And in some places like St. Louis, they're actually enforcing laws that don't quite exist. And we're seeing the rise of morality policing. So congratulations. You've accomplished nothing other than destabilizing everything and creating a homeless camp. They say this week, Mr. de Blasio said in response to questions by reporters that he would let police officials decide when to shut down the encampment. Neither the police nor officials at City Hall immediately responded. I I, I don't care. Though the occupation at City Hall was over, some protesters said it was not a fatal blow to their cause. It's a reminder that the fight isn't over. And you know what? I'm glad that they reminded us now, said Game Quinones, 22, who worked at the camp as a volunteer de-escalator, settling disputes and soothing frayed tempers. We'll go somewhere else with everything that we learned here and continue our work. Please, no. <laughs> like everything's getting worse. Man, I Look, I don't live in New York anymore, and I feel bad for the community leaders and activists who have to deal with all of this, who have to deal with the surge and, you know, Occupy City Hall struggles as homeless move in. Organizers said they were helping vulnerable people, but nearby residents said the camp had turned into an unruly and at times violent shanty town. That's all you've done. Now, look, I can respect the passion, the sentiment. We want to fix these problems. And you know what really bothers me? when you know, you know that saying, when you make peaceful uh, uh, you know, revolution impossible, you make violent revolution inevitable or whatever. I think it's fair to say that there are problems with the NYPD and many other police departments. And because the reforms weren't getting done, you end up with chaos and shanty towns. You end up with a dramatic escalation in crime and nobody is happy. Perhaps what we need to do is have legitimate reform conversations and actually talk with members of the community, and make sure our police are treating people like their own neighbors. It's one of the biggest problems. Now, I don't know how New York solves that problem because New York is just too big. Nobody knows each other. Millions of people ride the subway and they never talk to each other once. So how you solve this impersonal, emo, you know, emotionless policing, I don't even know if it's possible. I'll tell you this though, a bunch of random people going out, showing up and taking over spaces didn't do anything but make everything worse. I want to shift gears now and talk about the, the other side of this coin. So with this, you see lawlessness, right? You're like, we we want to defund the police. Congratulations, you've won. And now almost a month later, you still had this encampment and they've wiped it out. Like I mentioned, crime is skyrocketing in New York, but there is an, uh, uh, an inverse to this. What happens if a large group of people go around marching through the streets demanding police reform and you get the opposite over enforcement? I bring you now to a story from a couple days ago of the McCloskey's. Now, this you probably already know about, but I want to uh, highlight a statement made by the attorney general in defense of the McCloskeys because the laws in Missouri are actually really, really interesting. But first, let's talk about this felony charges filed against St. Louis couple who pointed guns at protesters. It is illegal to wave weapons in a threatening manner. A, a, a prosecutor in the city said, "I almost said New York, but in, in St. Louis." Here's here's why I bring these up. Put them together. I see, I see these leftist activists on Facebook and they're talking about this story in particular. And can you guess what their response is? Their response is, Yay, the police are arresting more people. Woohoo. Wait a minute. I thought you wanted police reform. No, I think it's fair to say that just because you want less policing in certain areas doesn't mean you're talking specifically about, you know, someone brandishing a weapon. I do think it's funny that we're seeing record gun sales and now you've got the left. Protesting against guns? It just doesn't even make sense. Well, it's because they came out and brandished them. We demand they be arrested. No, the reality is everything they've been doing is about ideological gains. That's it. And that's the point of how this overlaps. The two sides of the coin, ideological victory. They want to defund the police, not because they don't want police, because they want to presumably replace it with their version of morality police, like we'll probably start seeing in Minneapolis. They disbanded their police department. What happens then? You're going to get intersectionalist police or whatever, some stupid nonsense, or at the very least you get none. But that helps. It helps them tear down the system. In St. Louis, what are they demanding? Ideological victory. Arrest these people who dared to oppose us. That's what we're getting. The McCloskeys did nothing wrong. That's a fact. The AG says so. The governor is talking about pardoning them. So why are left-wing activists cheering for felony charges for people who are on their own property Defending themselves. It's because they were defending themselves from a mob of people who they ideologically oppose. It's because the mob of people opposes them and they want to wield the power of the state against their enemies. That's what it's all about. Defund the police. You know what, man? They'll whisper sweet nothings into your ears and they will tell you, we want peace. We want reform. We want justice and equality for all except them. That's what the activists tell me. You realize that Trump wants to harm people, but that way he can give you know he can benefit only the privileged elites. And I'm like, sure, maybe, but to act like these people aren't doing the same thing is absurd. So you want to criticize them? I'll point it right back at you and say, what about this? These people were in their home, and the pro- and and the I'll just call it a group. The people came onto private property, and they had weapons and said GTFO. Guess what? Completely legal. In fact, the attorney general made this huge thread breaking down why it is. And I hope they uphold this. We'll see how it plays out. The AG has announced that he's moving to dismiss these charges. This is the the optimistic uh, side of things. This is the good news. All right. We can all be a little sad. We can pour one out for our friends over at the New York Chaz, the homeless. You know, I guess now is a homeless encampment. I'm kidding, by the way. I'm sure most people don't actually care. Even the protesters don't care because they won and left. But it's not all bad. Because even though these people are trying to erode everything, they're infecting you know many facets of government and their fringe ideology makes no sense, we are still seeing some resistance from those in government. Notably, Eric Schmidt, who's the attorney general for Missouri, who breaks down a really, in a really, really fascinating thread just why what the McCloskey's did was legal. If this is true, that what they did was completely legal and the AG says it was, why would anyone cheer for over-policing? Let's step back for a second. They, I, I mentioned how the, the, the you know the leftists won an ideological victory. This is overt. I mean, this is in our faces. They're literally saying we like these people broke no laws. Don't care. Lock them up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We want less policing, right? We want less people falsely accused of crimes or arrested for crimes they didn't commit. Nope. Apparently not. Apparently the left is happy with innocent people who broke no laws getting arrested because they don't like them so don't give them the reins. Heaven help us if those people get power, the weird lefty insurrectionist types. Let me read you some of this, because this is truly fascinating. Eric Schmidt says, St. Louis prosecutor Kim Gardner is engaged in a political prosecution. I entered the case seeking a dismissal. As AG, I have a duty to protect the fundamental rights of all Missourians, including the right to keep and bear arms in self-defense of one's person and home, a threat. Let me stop right there. It is true. That Kim Gardner is engaged in a political prosecution. Dare I say malicious prosecution? Dare I add? Sue the city? Sue the prosecutor's office? McCloskey's? I mean, they're lawyers. I'm pretty sure they're civil rights lawyers. Let's see how this one plays out. Here's what he says. This is fascinating. The right to defend one's person, family, and home, and property has deep roots in Missouri. Self-defense is the central component of the right to keep and bear arms, which receives the highest protection from the Missouri Constitution. Missouri statutes specifically authorized citizens to use firearms to deter assailants and protect themselves, their families and homes from threatening or violent intruders. A highly publicized criminal prosecution of citizens for exercising these fundamental freedoms threatens to intimidate and deter law abiding citizens from exercising their constitutional right of self-defense. The prosecution sends a powerful message to all Missourians that they exercise that they exercise their fundamental right to self-defense at their peril Missourians should not fear exposure to criminal prosecution, even prison time when they use firearms to defend themselves and their homes. Now, right away, I can see all the leftists saying they weren't defending their homes. Nobody was threatening. Ah, irrelevant. I bring you now the continuation of the thread. He says, I have a duty to protect and defend the, the, uh, the constitution and statutory rights, constitutional and statutory rights of Missourians, including the constitutional right to keep and bear arms. And the right to self defense by way of our Constitution and Missouri's Castle Doctrine. I have entered the case and filed a brief seeking a dismissal of the case to ensure all Missourians who wish to exercise their fundamental right to defend themselves, their families, and their homes without fear of criminal prosecution. This case is extraordinary. Based on widely reported facts, this prosecution targets conduct explicitly protected by both the Missouri Constitution and statutes setting forth the Castle Doctrine of self defense. In other words, This is not just a case of the government retaliating against a citizen for exercising a right, which is bad enough. It's also a case where the local prosecutor believes that exercising that right is itself a crime. My point, okay, is that when the protesters in New York or Chaz or anywhere else claim defund the police, they don't want to do that. They will wield the power of the state as they see fit. This is the problem of authoritarianism rising on the left. There's no, there's no fascist movement here. It doesn't exist. These people are insane. They want to get rid of the police and then use the police to, in, to, to uh, enforce things the way they want them. Morality policing, that's the big issue at play. The political prosecution is not based in law, and as long as it continues, it will send a public message to all Missourians. If you dare to exercise the fundamental right to keep and bear arms in defense of your family and home, you may be prosecuted and sent to prison. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He says, The right to keep and bear arms in self-defense in one uh, of one uh, of one's person and home receives the Missouri Constitution's highest level of protection. Self-defense is the core lawful purpose and central component of the right to keep and bear arms in both 2 a and Missouri Constitution. See Heller decision. This core lawful purpose includes the right of law abiding responsible citizens to use arms in defense of hearth and home. The right to keep and bear arms is a fundamental right that is necessary to our system of ordered liberty. See MacDonald. He cites Heller and MacDonald. He goes on to say the founders viewed the right to keep and bear arms and self-defense as a natural right that was inalienable. This recognition predated the adoption of the U.S. Constitution and had deep roots in English concepts of liberty forged in the glorious revolution of 1689. Thus, under principles of English law that the founders viewed as fundamental, the right to keep and bear arms was a recognition of the natural right of defense of one's person or house as part of the law or self-preservation and central to 2A. The founders knew the right to keep and bear arms, not the government, is the citizens' first line of defense against physical attack. Thus, the right received its greatest emphasis during times when government could not be trusted to protect citizens' personal security. The landmark Heller decision mentions its importance for anti-slavery advocates and post-Civil War firearms for self-defense was often the only way black citizens could protect themselves from mob violence. If anything, this right is even more deeply rooted in Missouri's unique history and tradition. The right was explicitly in Missouri's first constitution of 1820, stating the quote, the right to bear arms in defense of themselves and of the state cannot be questioned. They've even expanded this language over the years, including in 2014, when the overwhelming majority of Missouri voters including the uh, included the language, home, person, family, and property, subject to strict scrutiny. It goes on. The state of Missouri shall be obligated to uphold these rights and shall, under no circumstances, decline to protect against their infringement. By enacting the Castle Doctrine of Self-Defense, Missouri statutes explicitly authorize the use of firearms to defend one's person, family, home, and property from threatening and violent intruders. Missouri has adopted one of the strongest versions of the Castle Doctrine in the country. the doctrine is. This doctrine is not merely a creature of statute, but deeply rooted in the constitutional right to keep and bear arms. Section 563031 specifically authorizes Missouri citizens and homeowners to protect themselves from illegal invasions and intrusions on, uh, into their home and private property. It establishes three principles. One, Missourians may defend themselves and others using physical force, including firearms, to deter imminent use of unlawful force by another person. Two, they may use deadly force against a person who has unlawfully entered or attempts to enter private property owned by another and threatens to use unlawful force against another. Missouri, Missourians have no duty to retreat from their own residence or property when threatened by an unlawful intruder. Very, very wordy, but the gist is this. As outlined by the attorney general, citing several cases, landmark decisions, and the Constitution the moment they entered private property, it would seem they could have been shot. That's that's how strong Missouri's castle doctrine is. The fact that they stood their ground on their own property suggests they broke no laws, which brings me to my main point. Okay. He goes on a lot more, uh, a lot further. There's, there's a lot more to this. He basically says it was a per- political persecution ends by saying on behalf of all Missourians who wish to exercise their right to keep and bear arms in self-defense of their persons, Homes, families, and property. And as AG of this great state, I am seeking a, a dismissal of this politically motivated case at the earliest opportunity and thread. I highlight this to show you when they say defund the police, they don't really mean it. What they're saying is we want to weaken the forces that would stop us from committing crimes. But given the opportunity to oppress those that we ideologically oppose, we will take it wholeheartedly. 100%. I'd be willing to bet you can follow through on this. Many of the protesters in New York who supported defunding the police probably have posted on Twitter or Facebook that they support the felony charges. I have seen many leftist activists cheer for the felony charges, saying they're crazed gun nuts, yet at the same time claim the police are overbearing and these these overbearing prosecutions must stop. Yes. And there you can see the true hypocrisy. I do not trust them for a minute when they say they want police reform. I actually would like police reform, but not in the way they're doing it. They're causing problems. Crime is skyrocketing, and their allies are seeking to persecute and prosecute people they oppose. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at timcast.net, and I will see you all then. Boy, I long for the good old days when Officer Friendly would walk up to that hot dog stand and say, one foot long dog, please hold the mustard, maybe a little bit of relish, slap some onions on top. And the guy would say, no charge for you, Officer Friendly. We appreciate you, the work you do in the community, keeping us safe. Gone are the days where we have such a trope. Today, we have Starbucks employee spitting cops drink. He gets arrested for it. We also have this story Dozens of federal officers in Portland are doxed amid riots. My favorite part about the federal officers being doxxed is that they keep saying they're unidentified officers. Well, congratulations, you've identified them, and you've gone above and beyond just learning their name or badge number. Yeah, we're not in this world anymore where people like cops. Big cities have become, I don't know, unmanageable. I mean, I don't know if it's just something we have in, in, in US culture, why it is this way, but I think it has something to do with population density. It's not completely true because there are other big cities around the world like Tokyo that don't have the same problems we do. But I think when you have cops that are, you know, impersonal, you don't know them, you're less likely to engage with them as if they're officer friendly. And and to to be honest, most of the interactions we have with cops is like, what, getting a ticket for something? Yeah, for real. Like, when was the last time you talked to a cop? For me, it was when someone tried to break into my house. All right. I haven't got a speeding ticket or anything in a really, really long time. But I'm sure most people will get pulled over for something. It's not a pleasant interaction. Thus, well, gone are those days. Now you have nationwide protests, worsening sentiment, demoralization across the board. And it comes from stories like this. Now, listen, when it comes to federal agents and doxing, you go too far, depending on the doxing. You want to release the name of someone because or the badge number. Well, cops should be identified. You got to wear your badge so we can say, hey, it was officer. This is the officer. We need accountability. These are people we're entrusting with the law. Why are you going to spit in someone's drink, dude? And he may have done it more than once. Yeah, gone are the days, huh? North Jersey reports, Starbucks employee spits in a drink. An employee at a Park Ridge Starbucks was charged with spitting in the drinks of police officers, authorities said. Kevin Trejo, 21 of Westwood, was arrested on Monday after an investigation found that he spit in the drinks of officers who patronized the store. Park Ridge Police Captain Joseph Rempola said, I hope they didn't drink it, but I wonder how they figured out he did it. You know, when you get a drink, did you look in it and say, hey, it looks like spit to you? Yep. All right. Call it in. I hope someone didn't just drink it. Oh, man. Under the current COVID threat, it is extremely disturbing to think that someone would intentionally spit in your drink, Rampola said. It was not known how many times Trejo allegedly spit in the drinks or to how many officers. A Starbucks spokesperson called Trejo's actions reprehensible and said that he is no longer employed the company. We will continue to support Park Ridge police in their investigation and have a deep respect for the Park Ridge Police Department and the officers who helped keep our partners and communities safe, the spokesperson told North Jersey. The Park Ridge location of the popular coffee chain has historically had an amicable relationship with local police, Rampola said, hosting multiple coffee with a cop events. We believe this was an isolated act, but it does not remove the shock and disgust that our officers feel. Trejo's charges. Include subjecting a law enforcement officer to bodily fluid. Oh, that's a law? Oh, man. Yeah, I know. It probably happens a lot. I, I got to say, man, tell all the cops out there. I don't know how you do it. For real. I remember when I was younger, I was talking. My, my dad was talking to me about it because he was a firefighter. And he said, look, man, they got a crummy job. You, you, you imagine that these cops are, are you know, you know, what, what's the guy's? um oh, forgetting the guy's name. Um, Jack McLean from like, is that his name? McLean from uh, uh, Die Hard and he like tapes the gun to his back, and he's like, yippee-ki-yay, and he's fighting terrorists, when actually you're like, we got a call of some homeless dude who pulled his pants down and is a to dump in the middle of the road, and you're like, ugh. <laughs> or you're pulling people over and like giving them minor fines. It's not seemingly the most glorious job, but it is an important one. Okay, maybe I'm being a little too pessimistic on the job of being an officer. There have been many officers who probably got a fuzzy feeling inside when they've actually saved me. I, I told the story before some dude was trying to mug me in Chicago. And these cops like like materialized out of nowhere. I kid you not. We were walk- crossing the street. This guy's like threatening me. And, and, you know, he's doing this veiled mugging. Come on, man. I don't want to hurt you. Just give me what you got. I was broke. And then all of a sudden, before I realized I was like I was calm about it. I was like, get out of here, dude. But then all of a sudden, a bunch of cops just like come out of the woodwork, man. grabbed the guy, slammed him, screaming in his face, not in my town. I kid you not. It was a crazy moment. So I've actually had cops, you know, com- I'm sure those are the moments that it's, it's all about, when you actually get to be the hero, actually helping or saving someone and stopping the bad guy. But to be fair, I think you got, we, <laughs> look at this. He's been charged with subjecting an officer to bodily fluid. Why did they have to make that law? Oh, man. <laughs> Purposefully tampering with a law enforcement officer's drink and creating a hazardous environment. The arrest comes at a time of increased tension. This we get. Look, man, it's, it's not it's not an easy time to be a cop right now. And I think everybody recognizes that dozens of federal law enforcement officers in Portland doxed amid riots, officials say about 38 officers have had personal information put online. When when these officers emerged from their minivan, everyone said, look, look, they're unidentified. They were wearing masks and they had police patches and like DHS, like CBP or whatever. Everyone said they were unidentified. I'm pretty sure they were identifiable. I'm pretty sure you knew they were cops. It is troubling. I'll admit, though, I think our cops got to have badge numbers. You know, you, you, you should be able to to identify them. One of the arguments put forward was that they cover their faces because the activists will dox them. Sound familiar? Yeah, isn't it the premise of the new HBO show Watchmen? Well, not new now, but newish, that the cops started wearing masks so that no one could identify them because they were being you know doxed and they're you know personally harassed. We can't have that, man. If the far left is going to dox people so that people can commit crimes against them, I mean, I don't have to tell you. Like go after the people who break the law. If releasing public information is is, is incitement, call it incitement and go after them for it. But I don't like the idea that cops are going to be you know masked or whatever. I certainly don't like doxing. Dozens of federal law enforcement officers in Portland have had their personal information posted online by individuals who have also encouraged protesters to go to the officers' homes. Incitement. That's incitement, right? F.P.S. Deputy Director Richard Klein said at a press conference that approximately 38 law, uh, law enforcement officers had been doxed as he explained why officers had na- uh, name badges removed. We are going to convert their name tags to their badge number as about 38 of our officers that are out there have been doxed and their personal information has been put online. DHS had previously said that violent anarchists in the area have on multiple occasions released personal information to the public of those officers in Portland. But Klein gave an indication of how widespread the practice is. Federal law enforcement, including FPS and Customs and Border Protection, have been in Portland since the beginning of the month in response to unrest that has gripped the city for more than 50 days. While DHS says agents are in place to defend monuments and federal property, such as the Hatfield Courthouse, activists and mainly Democratic lawmakers have accused DHS of using heavy handedness, escalating violence and using unidentified officers to make arrests. But DHS officials said that officers are identified as both law enforcement and members of the specific agency they represent. But name tags were not displayed due to the ongoing risk of doxing, they say. Not that it matters a whole lot, but I believe I was incorrect. I read the patch wrong. I looked it up. I assumed the guy had his name on his patch. It actually said BORTAC, which is border uh, it's like the border guards, elites, you know, group or whatever from CBP. That's another thing that's, absolutely, uh, that's another thing that's absolutely disgusting, he said. So they're not only jeopardizing the lives of the agents, they're also jeopardizing the lives of their families. And they're putting out their home information and they're suggesting that, in, suggesting that individuals go to their homes. Okay. Yes, this is what they do. The New York Times is going to dox Tucker Carlson. I say dox in a loose sense. They're going to publish where his house was. It's listen. If I tell you the name of someone's town, you can easily find their home. That's the game. They're hoping that someone else will be crazy enough to go in and and harm you. That's what they're doing. And And they'll do it more. We saw what they did in Seattle, right? They went to Mayor Jenny Durkin's house. How long until they go to these officers' houses? Because that's why they are doxing them. So yes, as acting commissioner, I have authorized and supported removing their names from their uniforms. A DHS report published in June warned the personal information of officers and other law enforcement personnel was being posted on social media amid the ongoing protests and warned of the danger it may cause to law enforcement. While doxing does not, in and of itself, constitute a threat to law enforcement and their families, doxing might result in the downstream threat of violence by violent opportunists or domestic violent extremists, or otherwise prevent DHS personnel or law enforcement partners from executing their lawful mission. It said that, it, that police in Kentucky, as well as D.C., Atlanta, Boston, and New York, had been doxed. That's the name of the game: the chilling effect the terror. They want you to fear. They want you to say, I'm not going to get involved. Man, there have been stories about uh, the McCloskey's, for instance, right? You know, the the, the armed couple in St. Louis, the protesters showed up. Well, call them whatever you want. The group of people that broke under their private property. After this incident, McCloskey's could not get private security from many companies. They eventually did find a company, but many companies were like, no way we are not going to be involved in this. That's what they want to happen. They want these law enforcement officers to say, please don't assign me to this. I don't want to be doxed. They are trying to make it personal. They're trying, excuse me, trying to make it political so they can hurt people, hoping that people will be scared. They don't necessarily need someone to actually get hurt. The fear is more powerful than the pain itself. I read that once. Not sure how true it is, but I was reading that when it comes to torture, The anticipation of pain was more powerful than the pain itself because pain is fleeting. But anticipating some kind of attack is terrifying. You know, these cops might be sitting at home wondering when it will come for them. And that's the chilling effect. So look, whether it's someone spitting in your drink or releasing your name, not a good time to be a law enforcement officer right now. So I'll tell you what, man, I was recently over at the local police department for some personal, you know, private security reasons. And I just made sure to tell him, man, look, I live in a small town. These are not the jackbooted city cops that you want to complain about stormtrooper feds, whatever. These local cops are getting attacked the same as every other cop because they're all lumped in together. Nah, it was a couple dudes hanging out doing administrative work. And I said, I just want to let you know, man, I really appreciate everything you guys are doing. Sounds like what you're doing is boring, but we do need you guys in the community. So I appreciate it. And I think that's an important message to the good cops, the people in your communities to let them know that you support them, especially right now, because it's getting bad out there, man. It's getting bad. And I think I think, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of cops, they deal with crummy stuff all day. I try to empathize. I'm not going to I'm not going to defend any of these cops who brutalize people or break the law or refuse to be held accountable. And I think you'll find that good cops don't want it either. Do I think we could use reform? 100%. Let's make sure we protect the civil rights of everybody and do it in a way that can bring our communities together and then involves the police. But this, man, this is too much. So, hey, look, if you're, if you're a cop out there and you're a good cop, I appreciate the work you're doing, man, and try and, and, try and keep your chin up, but I'm not going like, to pretend like I'm willing to step into that stuff. Man, some people are brave. I'll tell you what, I got a couple more segments in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. And then they came for me too. But why? I supported the protest cries out the politician thinking that by supporting the far left lunatics, they would spare you. And let this be a message to every single person who says, well, certainly I can't speak up. I must keep my head down. They come for their own allies in government. They'll come for everyone. Seattle City Council president addresses protests targeting council members' houses. Why, yes. You see, in Seattle, the protesters actually showed up to the houses of Seattle council members, even though they all agreed to defund the police. Giving them what they want doesn't matter. They'll come anyway, and they'll graffiti up your house, and they'll blame you no matter what you do. The far left right now they have no cohesive plan. They're a chaotic and destructive force that seeks only to destroy the bonds of our functioning society, though it's become quite dysfunctional, partly because of these people that function much like fire spreading from agency to agency and destroying our, our, our system, our civilization, our society. It's not just in Seattle. Oakland mayor Libby Schaff's home covered in defund the police graffiti. They will come for you. And there is nothing you can do do stop it if you support them. Now, of course, if you are like a sane, rational human being, you can do the obvious call the police, fund the police, and say, Officer, yes, I, there's a bunch of protesters that are seeking to damage my home. Please remove them. And guess what? The cops are going to say, You got it, buddy. And they're going to show up with shields or whatever. And they're going to be like, Move, move. I'll tell you what. Some of the tactics that I've seen riot police use, not a big fan of. But if you show up to people's homes to harass them, I'm not going to sympathize with you if police show up to remove you. Come on, there are lines, right? There are limits. Go protest City Hall. There, there's civil disobedience. There's painting, even graffiti. But going to people's houses and graffitiing up private residences? That, nah, I'm, I'm not going to be okay with this. You know what, man? I've been saying, eventually they come for your house. What happens when it's late at night? What happens when one person crosses that line and kicks the door open? Then somebody else sees the door open and peeks inside? Then people start streaming inside, and that's how it begins. We must denounce the targeting of politicians' homes. But I'll tell you what, for the time being, if you're on the Seattle City Council and you support this stuff, well, don't be surprised when they come for you. The Seattle Times writes, Seattle City Council President M. Lorena Gonzalez issued a statement Tuesday in response to targeted protests at the homes of council members. Some people have protested outside the homes of council members Alex Peterson and Deborah Juarez recently. Peterson and Juarez have said they support, (laughs) they support making cuts to the police department's budget, but have not, unlike their colleagues, committed to a goal of defunding the department by 50%. And it won't matter anyway, because they'll come for you no matter what. Defunding advocates say money should be transferred from a police department with officers who too often hurt black people and others to community based solutions that can better prevent and resolve, resolve crimes. I want to acknowledge the frustration that people in our community are experiencing during this trying time, Gonzalez said. Political pressure, demonstrations, and advocacy are are a part of how people in America disrupt the status quo and meaningfully move governments towards social change. Our collective efforts, however, cannot devolve into personal attacks, intimidation, or potential violence. You know, look, they've not supported defunding the police 50%. So I think it's fair to say I can respect their resistance that they're saying, no, no, that's too much. Some cuts, sure. They're trying to push back. Not strong enough. I mean, look, if you live in Seattle and that's what you want, well, then you you, you you get what you get, right? If it were me, I'd be like, no, give them more money. I mean, I'm not a big fan of police militarization, so I'm half kidding. I think reform makes sense. I don't know if defunding and shutting down, you know, various uh, departments make sense. And here's what's interesting. They bring up earlier Tuesday, the Neighborhood for Smart Streets Political Action Committee, which backed Peterson and Juarez, Send out an email asking residents to pressure Gonzalez and the council's other citywide representatives, Teresa Mosqueda, to denounce the targeted protests. Peterson represents Northeast Seattle and Juarez represents North Seattle. Protesters have made noise at night outside Peterson's Ravenna home and written messages on his door, such as don't be racist trash. In pen and on post-it notes, according to the PAC, they have left literature about defunding the police on Juarez's Lake City doorstep and marched past the PAC. Juarez didn't immediately comment Tuesday. Peterson sees common ground to dramatically reimagine policing. And there it is, bending over backwards, giving them whatever they want. Congratulations. But sure enough, they'll come back later and say, now abolish the police entirely. And you'll be like, well, I believe in stripping them down to a skeleton crew, but abolish them entirely. Then they'll march in front of your house and you'll say, OK, we must find common ground and abolish the police. I bring you now to the pol- the PACS emailer. Neighborhoods for Smart Streets call to action. Over the last three weeks, protesters have visited the personal residences of three public officials, Jenny Durkin, Alex Peterson, and Deborah Juarez. Led by councilwoman uh, uh, Kishama Sawant, protesters vandalized the gate at Mayor Durkin's home with graffiti. On July 16th from 9 p.m. to midnight, they yelled into a bullhorn at Peterson's home and spray painted the street outside his home. On the morning of July 20th, they returned, trespassed, and vandalized Councilman Peterson's house with insults and profanity. His door was tagged with the words like, don't be racist trash. Hope your children are raised better and get the F out. Oh, wow. What a dramatic escalation. Don't be racist. Your children are trash. Get out. Okay. Okay. Calm down. Okay. Well, we get it. Seattle. I'm sorry, man. You reap what you have sown. Mayor Jenny Durkin had every opportunity to shut down the Chaz, and now they got a council member who's actually protesting other council members. You know what, man? I'm just getting so sick and tired of it. It's very, very frustrating. But you know, it's affecting even the poor Mayor Libby in Oakland. You, 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 you reap what you sow, man. If you support this stuff, don't be surprised when they show up to your house. Now, as for Mayor Libby Schaaf, let's see what her stance was. They say, Oakland Mayor Libby Sheff's house was found vandalized early Tuesday morning with messages supportive of the defund the police movement, prompting an investigation by Oakland police detectives. They say photos shared to social media show slogans just defund the police and cancel rent. Cancel rent. <laughs> okay, what? The, this, this crosses the line because someone ha- someone's house and property said neighbor Alexandra Wright. F- Fifteen told KCBS radio. It's not exactly okay. It's not okay. They're getting a comment from a 15-year-old. <laughs> Did they get a comment from a 15-year-old? I don't care. Wright's mother, okay, questioned the protesters saying, I get that people are upset. I'm upset too. What's your goal? Justin Burton, a shaft spokesperson, said of the vandalism, an attack at the home of a publicly elected official does not advance democracy. Around 2 a.m., vandals shot projectiles at the mayor's home, set off fireworks, and graffitied her home with paint. Well, well, right-wing watch. When they claimed that far leftists didn't actually target Cassandra Fairbanks's house in D.C. when they fired fireworks and reportedly firearms, some kind of bullets. It was reported by Right Wing Watch that, well, I have not been able to corroborate that it actually happened. And some neighbor said she's full of it. What about this? Come on. They left graffiti this time. Yes, they're showing up to people's houses. So spare me your desperate attempts to propagandize, to protect these people. They're lunatics. But I'll tell you what, man, you know, in the instance of Cassandra, she opposed them. So they challenged her. These are the people who seemingly support them. This attack designed to intimidate the mayor and strike fear into her family will not stop her from advocating for the policies she believes are best are, are in the best long term interests for her beloved hometown. Like all Oaklanders, she supports passionate protests, but does not support tactics meant to harm and terrorize others. I don't believe you. I don't believe it, man. Oakland is part of the Bay Area. That whole place is a nightmare, man. In Oakland and and, and in uh, um, Berkeley, they put up signs in their windows basically begging the cultists not to damage their property. They put up Black Lives Matter signs. They put up Orange Man bad signs. They live on their knees in fear that these ridiculous insurgent type lunatics you know, will, will be going around smashing up property. So where are your police to do anything about it? Well, the problem is these people, the progressives, people in in, in places like Portland won't indict. So long as you keep voting for it, you get what you get. So maybe they're not really living on their knees. They're living in their utopian vision of dancing around as people go around smashing up their property and vandalizing their homes. Just not my home, not in my backyard, they say. Well, everything burns down around them. The far left won't stop here. Right now, they're going to people's houses, and they're writing naughty words, and that's about it. But sooner or later, someone's going to, you know, fire a projectile, which breaks a window. Someone will then throw another brick or kick the door in. Then they'll be coming in your home and dragging you out into the street. You think I'm exaggerating. I think it's hilarious. I do. You know why? About two years ago, three years ago, I was talking about how the street fights between the far left and the right would escalate, and it would escalate to exactly what we're seeing now. And now we're seeing it now. So when I tell you, there will come a point where they'll show up to someone's house and kick the door in and then drag somebody out or beat them up in their own home. It's going to happen. So long as this doesn't stop, it will get to that point. Apparently, when they went to Tucker Carlson's house, they banged on his door and damaged it. The protest, the, 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 the extremists, I call them extremists because they're going to people's houses, who banged on the door, said we broke nothing. Tucker said they did break it. And Tucker's wife was hiding in the closet, calling the police. So when they go to Cassandra Fairbanks house, why should I believe right wing watch when they're like, I couldn't actually corroborate this? What do you mean? It happens all the time. They've been escalating this. They keep doing it. Now they're going after the politicians who won't give them everything they want. Well, you know what? Perhaps if y'all would put your foot down and say, oh, what was that protester? You'd like to come to my house. Let me help you out. Nine one one. Yes. Strange people are trying to break into my house and then they can come and they can shoo them off, arrest some of them or whatever. I don't know, man. I think we can expect more, but I'll leave this one. I'll, I'll leave this one here. I got one more segment coming up for you in just a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. I bring you now to a very serious segment, and I want to talk to you about crime and violence. And I'm going to start with a focus specifically on this very, very horrifying story, and then we're going to talk about my good old hometown, Chicago. You see, the mayor is basically telling Trump in no uncertain terms, "Don't bring the feds in here." And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why I left Chicago. In fact, had dreams of leaving Chicago like many people from that city. But the first thing I'm going to do is talk to you about the importance of the police. Why we have law enforcement. There's a funny post that's going around talking about shopping carts. It says something like the shopping cart is the perfect example of why we need some kind of government because it takes you almost no time to return the shopping cart to the cart corral. You're rewarded. There's no reward for it. It's just the right thing to do. And it's not even that big of an inconvenience. Yet still, at supermarkets across the country, carts are littered everywhere. When given the choice, people will do these things and things will kind of just fall apart. Now, I know there's a lot of people who advocate for more smaller government, libertarian government, but I'm much more of a liberal believing that we do need some kind of government. Take a look at the screen. Ohio police investigate photo of man kneeling on child's neck. Well that's the headline. A Black Lives Matter supporter was kneeling on the neck, kneeling on the neck of a crying white toddler, baby, whatever you want to call. It. I don't know how old the child was. We can call it baby, toddler, some people will try and argue, but whatever, fine. Infant. This and and it said, you know, BLM MF or uh, they don't have the photo here. I, I can't show it. It's 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 horrifying. BLM now MF it said. The Clark County Sheriff's Office in Ohio confirmed that an investigation into the photo is underway, but no arrests have been made. The photo is 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 disgusting, to say the least. Like beyond disgusting. And this is why we have law enforcement. What would we do without the cops who have to deal with these kind of sickos every single day? In Chicago, I bring so so that's the just that story, okay? I wanted I really wanted to make sure I I I made the story known, but that's about all I can say on it. I hope they bring this man to justice. The bigger picture, in my opinion, is the importance of law enforcement and why I actually think maybe Chicago needs federal assistance. Trump has talked about sending in the feds to help clean up Chicago, and they've said no over and over again. Donald Trump will order FBI and DEA surge in Chicago and Albuquerque to tackle violence as Mayor Lori Lightfoot says under no circumstances will she allow Portland style crackdown operation legend, they call it, as feds move through. Now, she said something like she wouldn't allow Donald. I wonder if they have the actual statement that she put up that she wouldn't allow Trump. Here you go. Under no circumstances will I allow Donald Trump's troops to come to Chicago and terrorize our residents. Far too many have suffered. Far too many have attended funerals and tried to start the process of healing entire communities following another senseless tragedy. When a person picks up a gun, we suffer as a city. This cannot be who we are. Okay. I do not believe the federal law enforcement in Portland are violating the rights of people. I'm sorry, I just don't. We can we can argue about the legalities, the line when they detained that guy for questioning whether they should have had badges. I believe there is criticism to go around and, and you can say there's certain things they could do better. We can always do better. But if you're attacking the Portland courthouse, which is which is federal jurisdiction, starting fires and throwing commercial grade fireworks, they're going to enforce the law. You, if, if Antifa and the far left just left, nothing would happen. It would all be over. But now they keep showing up every night and it's getting bigger and it's getting worse. Now, as for Chicago, Chicago is facing a very violent surge in crime. And we need law enforcement to get a handle on things. When you story, see stories like the Ohio police and this man kneeling on a child, the stories, headlines like that, I cross my fingers and hope that law enforcement can do the job they need to do. And I have to wonder who these guys are that actually jump into the fray. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't, cause I wouldn't want to do it. I would absolutely not want to do it. I can't imagine the things Some of these guys, some of these officers, men and women actually see when they deal with people like a guy who would kneel on a child's neck. Let me tell you some stories. When I was uh, 14, there was a fight, not too far from my home, a bunch of high school kids were fighting. One dude got knocked down, and so he turned around and he pulled out a two by four. The other guy said, hey, we agreed no weapons. And then he turns around and he picks up where he he, he walks over. to a big crowd of people. He apparently hid a gun under a car and then pulled the gun out. These are people who are like 15, 16 years old, maybe 17. I don't know. Not young. They're young teenagers, I guess. That was a regular old fight in my neighborhood in Chicago. Guy pulls out a handgun. Everyone screams. Someone, someone yells strap. I remember I was driving with uh, a friend. We got off the highway when all of a sudden, I have no idea why, a car passing us, a guy just points the gun straight out and fires at our vehicle and we duck. We're like, why? I remember hearing stories about a workplace in my neighborhood where a gang shootout happened. A guy just runs in, kicks the door open, goes around the wall and gunshots, leans out the door and starts firing randomly. That's Chicago. I remember a friend of mine telling me on the phone once who lived only a couple, like a mile or two away on the south side, that he had seen a couple people dragging a corpse through his alley. It's been, it's been a long time since I've left Chicago. And I will tell you this now, if I was walking around my neighborhood and I saw this in the street, these guys in what looks like, I don't know what kind of, it's not urban camo, but they're wearing, you know, greenish camo. I guess it's, uh, you know, terrain camo. I don't know, forest, rainforest. One, off, one officer is wearing all black. If I saw that, you know what I would think? Nothing. No, I, I'd go about my business. Now, sure, there's an argument about the escalation of authoritarianism. If you're fighting and throwing bricks at cops and they're trying to stop you, stop throwing bricks at cops. What are they doing? They're protecting a courthouse. They're not snatching up children and throwing them in a gulag or something. We can talk about authoritarianism. Where I grew up, if you saw some of the, if I saw some of these guys on street corners they probably there's they wouldn't be wearing gas masks or anything. But if I saw National Guard, even I'd walk past and be like, yo, I don't I, 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 I why? why? Why would I be upset? Considering the escalation of violence, the murder, the killings, the things I've seen growing up, the, the, the goal of leaving the city. Now, this may be a little extreme, but the FBI and the DEA, if I heard the president was going to be sending in law enforcement to help stop the violence, I'd be like, whoa, cool. You know, you know, what my worst experience is one Chicago. Dirty cops That's about it. So sure, there's a definite concern for me there. Another reason why I'd be like, cool. I left Chicago for several reasons and I never want to go back. That's a fact. When I was younger, people talked about leaving and going to other places, dreaming of being somewhere else, mostly California. A lot of young people are like, can't wait to get up and get out of here. I left as soon as I could. I think I moved out officially when I was like 21 or 22. And it's, so it's been about 12 years. And it's because of the violence being normalized. It's because of dirty cops. You betcha. It's, they got dirty cops. Chicago, man, it's bad. Dirty politics, dirty government, dirty politicians. And I don't want to be there. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, as far as I'm concerned, is politically motivated. And I'm disgusted by this. Terrorize our residents. When I had cops plant weed in my car, who felt terrorized? I did. And even though I've experienced these things, I've talked about it. I'm not going to blame every single cop, which is why I would welcome a new agency to come in and clean things up, clean up the CPD. I'm not saying every single cop's dirty, but they've notoriously been running what they call black sites. They're they're off the off record where they snatch people up and bring them and hold them. We had the story of John Burge. You ever hear this guy accused? I'll just say, accused. I don't have the source pulled up. He would torture people into confessions, electrocuting them. This this corrupted the whole system. How many of our governors, the past like several governors have been sent to prison in Illinois? The feds need to come in. I'm not I'm not slamming all cops, even experiencing this stuff, I don't think all cops are bad. I think you need an FBI cleanup. I think Trump should send in federal agents into Chicago and stop the gun violence. Now, maybe it could make things worse. I don't know. But if they're not getting the job done now, how dare you say that would terrorize our residents? I have family who live in Chicago, and I'd like to see them protected. And I don't think Chicago is a safe place to be. I think it's an awful place. New York's not perfect. They're co- they, they got bad NYPD cops too. But I'll tell you what, man, NYPD, way better than CPD. I'm sorry, CPD, man. You got bad. You got, you got more than just some bad apples. You got some bad bushels. Not every cop. Like I mentioned, I've been saved by cops in Chicago. Saved me from a mugging. I mentioned about it in the past in the previous segment. And that's why I recognize not all cops are bad. But when you've got widespread gun violence, they call this place Chirac. It's facing its most violent weekend in like decades. Come on, man. You need to do something about this. If I when I was, you know, when I was 20 or whatever, I would not think twice to seeing some, you know, federal CBP or whatever wearing camo coming out, you know, armed, I'd be like, hey, what's going on? And they'd probably just be like, we're just here to keep everybody safe, you know, you know, keeping this under control. I'd be like, cool. And then I'd walk over and grab my burger and mind my own business. There's a challenge, right? Freedom versus security. But I really don't believe that simply because you have the presence of federal officers, people's rights are being violated. That's the big question. If a National Guardsman or a federal officer is standing on a street corner wearing a mask with a paintball gun, has anyone's rights been violated? No. If you jaywalk and they beat the crap out of you and throw you in a truck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. But right now, no, they're going like, Oh, unmarked, unidentified officers are are kidnapping people off the street. Uh, uh, No, 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 no. You don't, you don't join a riot and then complain that you got detained for questioning. We can talk about Chicago's problems. Like I just did the people being, you know, brought to black sites. I don't see you talking about that. We can talk about Obama's indefinite detention provision. Sign in 2011. You don't talk about that. Standing around is not oppressing your rights. You do not have a right to throw commercial grade fireworks at federal property or to throw bricks and bottles at federal law enforcement. I'll tell you what I would do if I saw them and I had an issue with it. I'd say I won't stand there. That's about it, man. I'm not going back to Chicago because of how bad it is. I don't like Mayor lawyer Lightfoot. I don't know a whole lot about her, but I'm not a fan. She went out and got her. She got a haircut While she was telling everybody else they couldn't go out. Sorry, I'm not playing games. I'm over this. Maybe they need the feds. Maybe. I don't live there anymore. So you know what? I guess I'll abstain from my personal vote opinion. You guys figure it out for yourselves. I'm long since gone. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all next time.